Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Jim McQuan. Hello, Jim. Hello there. Now, we've come to talk about your new film. Do you want to tell us what it's called? Yeah, the film's called Beautiful Devils, and it's a, uh, a modern adaptation of uh, the Shakespeare play Othello. Cool. Now, uh, on, BritFlix, on BritFlix website, I noticed that you've already garnered yourself a good four-star review for it. Yeah, hot on the heels of your of um, one night in Istanbul, which it seems to remember got five, didn't it? On Britflix, um, did it? Oh, it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, the guy, the guys who review. I mean, because I don't do reviews because it's yeah, it's it's hard to do reviews and then speak to people because unless you, yeah, you know, right. it's like you know, you've got to, it's well, know, unless it's a good review, then obviously they'll be happy to speak to you. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to get <laughs> I don't want to get drawn into that because the, the point oh, no. the point of my podcast is we're talking about filmmaking and that making films. So my subjective opinion often is is an irrelevance. But in saying that, I really enjoyed your film. So I should I should uh, I shouldn't say that's like a thinly veiled passive aggressive way of saying I didn't like your movie. No, <laughs> I really, no. really I really enjoyed it, and I think I think you know the the uh, the Othello aspect is the um, is the really is obviously an interesting part of it, but also the way that you managed to weave in quite a lot of contemporary prickly points into it that weren't necessarily reliant on it being a fellow. You know, I think the the social media aspect and things like that that um, <clears throat> that comes into it. So let's let's start off with the with, with how you got involved. Then, I mean, when you when when this project came about, you're you're not you're not the screenwriter of this. You're the director. Are you brought in at the end of it, or are you brought in at the beginning as a package? And everyone's saying, right, we're going to do a contemporary take on this. What should we do? Yeah, well, I think I mean the history of it before I got involved. I'm not I'm not exactly sure of. I'm, it's unusual for me. I mean, I, I this is probably the film I've done where I came in the latest I ever had. Okay. Um, I think generally, you know, you you kind of spin loads of plates and you have loads of uh, kind of projects that you're trying to get off the ground and seems like one's going to, and then, you know, someone's finance pulls out and something else comes along. So it's usually a, a process that takes years, but actually this one, I, I got a call um, to direct it out of the blue. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously I, I, uh, I asked them to send me the script um, and, and tell me how low the budget was, which is always a bit of a pain. But um, I read the script, and uh, I, you know, I was obviously very intrigued to make uh, to have a have a shot at a at a Shakespeare play, mm-hmm. uh, albeit you know a, an adaptation that's in um, contemporary dialogue, not in the old Shakespearean prose. Yeah. Um, but I just thought the script was uh, was really interesting. I thought it was really clever, and and I, to be honest, before the script, 
I wasn't that familiar with the Othello play. Um, so then that, you know, before I kind of gave them an answer, I went back and had a look at the, at the play, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and had a read of the, of the original text. And I, and I was kind of struck by, by how clever the writer had been, um, in, you know, kind of taking these, you know, these old ideas set in the Venetian courts and, and, you know, transposing them to kind of trendy, you know, uh, uh, hipster East London. Yeah. Um, and that whole kind of music scene. Um, and, and, you know, and that was really exciting, really. And, it, you know, it was a sort of great challenge to, to, to try and make this modern version of Othello, um, which is quite difficult because it is a stylized world. You know, it's a very um, charged, highly emotional world, as you, as you know, from having watched the film. But uh, I guess for, for a modern setting, there's probably nothing better than the kind of, you know, the cutthroat, hungry, ambitious world of kind of pop music, you know, that kind of whole X factor kind of, uh, kind of environment, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that sense of entitlement, isn't it? The, um, I, I want it, therefore I can have it. I mean, you, you, central, central character being obviously like, Darcy's ambition is that real sort of like traditional. Well, I want. I, I've got time to do it. I want to do it. I should be famous. And then you've got the kind of creative heads that come together. That are the um, yeah. So, and, and and the thing that's so nice is obviously, it, it it's quite you know, it, well, the way we looked at it is that is that step number one, we're making a kind of psychological thriller from the from the perspective of the psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and then step number two is can we go further than that and kind of elicit, you know, sort of a sympathy or empathy with all of the ca- different characters and their perspectives and their understanding of, of what's happening to them in the story. Um, obviously we're, we're following the, the, the villain's story. So as, as he plots, we, the audience are kind of forced to watch what he's doing. Um, but then the other challenge is: can you can you create some some sympathy for Oz, for Othello, you know, who who you know is a kind of an innocent victim, but then actually his actions are, are fairly horrific and terrible, you know? <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in I mean, I'm not familiar with Othello, so I won't, I won't pretend I am. So, in terms of that that perspective of the storytelling, is that true to the original? Is that how we view it? We we look at the world through through the uh, through the psycho's eyes, as it were. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That is. Okay. I mean, I, okay. In the in the original in the original play, he he has the bulk of the uh, of the dialogue for Got sure. You. Got you. Okay. Uh, you know, which is which is different. But we we sort of started to realise as we were working on it that uh, <clears throat> it it's almost like a kind of eighties thriller. You know. It reminded me of something like a kind of Brian De Palma film or something. You know, okay. It's very sort of lurid, you know, um, and, and full of sort of emotionally charged characters. Um, and um, I think um, that, you know, that seemed like the right way to play it. So, so you create something that, that people, contemporary people can recognize and understand, but then you sort of, it's almost like sort of turbocharged reality, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, in some senses, it's, it, it, you know, hearing the expression, it was very Shakespearean being described to how 
rock bands collapse because of, you know, the girlfriend of the singer running off with a drummer and all that kind of stuff is that really that's what this story is doing in some senses, but like you say, then then ratchets it up to the ultimate and fatal and tr- tragic conclusion. Yeah. I think the things that we did slightly differently, What one, I think in, in, in the play, Iago never sort of justifies himself at the end. He remains just this sort of evil psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, but that... I mean, actually, it was scripted that way until the day we we shot the last the last scene where you know where all is revealed, mm. and, and we sort of realised that actually it would be really cool if the villain sort of breaks down. Um, not exactly that you sympathise with him because he's clearly a psychopath, but that he he sort of expresses remorse at, at how his great friend had betrayed him and. And in his sort of psychotic eyes, that is the justification. So he he sees, we wanted to show that, you know, he sees that he is the victim. He is the guy who has had done wrong to him and is therefore justified in what he did. Um, which I think is quite interesting in that, again, that kind of world of people's delusional ideas about fame and talent and money and, you but, know, all but, that. But fame, but fame has that uncanny habit of of making us sort of bitter about how famous our friends get. You know, if you're all... Pers- there's, there's that point when you're young and hope springs eternal and everyone's yeah. on the same start line. And then yeah. somebody gets a go on it. Funny, I was just reading about um, Mark Moran's sort of awkward podcast interview with Louis C.K., right. where, where basically, apparently, five years into Louis C.K.'s rise and Mark Moran's lack of rise, he basically yeah. said, stop ringing me because we just keep talking about how successful you are. And it's depressing me. And I think, and I think, you know, and it is a modern phenomenon. Obviously, that wouldn't have been at the back of anything, any remotely at the back of Shakespeare's mind. But it's a good vehicle for you to modernise it in the sense of when we see other people realising what they want, and we still want it and don't understand why we've not. That can yeah. make you bitter. Add in, obviously, being a psycho, and then what does the no, psycho absolutely. do when when they're bitter? <laughs> yeah, and and apparently, statistically, one in a hundred people are psychos. So. That was kind of nice. Um, so, you know, we all know them. You or me potentially could be psychos. We but we're all, we're all on the scale at some point. There's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a wonderful but, podcast called uh, Think, Things They Don't Want You To Know where they did the hidden psychopath. So they looked at what it means to be one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and obviously most of them never acted out. It, no. it just it takes a trigger. And that's obviously what Ivan is, you know. Mm. Um, he, under other circumstances, you know, he never would have gone to the lengths that he's gone to but mm. I, so, so that's all quite interesting you know and and and, and very contemporary because i mean there's no doubt that we you know we now live in this you know the selfie age and everybody is so everybody kind of wants to be famous and sees themselves as you know has a public persona no i mean know? i mean it made me, i mean i've read i've read the book the circle by uh, david eggers which is about how if we just get completely consumed by our social media and want to share everything but mm. I just thought it was really neat in the, and there was one particular, I mean, this is no spoiler in this, but it was just a, a reflection of the time where Oz asks him, you know, how do you know she's going to the party? And he just says, she said it on Facebook. And, and that yeah. is a really weird way of seeing the world. And I've done it, you know. Yeah. My, my wife will ask me, is somebody coming? And I'll say, yeah, they've, they've, they've posted about it. And it's like, I've not spoken to them. I don't, <laughs> you know, the event is organised by somebody else, but I'm going to see them at the roundhouse for that gig, you know, and it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely the way it is now, isn't it? And all, and, but then also, I suppose, when 
someone's been excluded from something. Oh, without a yeah. doubt, yeah. And they see it, and and then you know you have the bitterness that that why wasn't I? You know, so the whole thing is kind of geared up to to creating this facade that that everything is wonderful and your life is is brilliant. So and, when, uh, when when you was um, when you got the script and you were going, yeah, I like this. Let's do this project. What was your how much back and forth went on between you and the writers in terms of what you coming on board at this late stage as the director wanted to do with the yeah, screenplay? Um, was there much negotiation yeah, at that point? In, in, in my experience and everything I've done um, yeah. and pretty much everything I've seen other people having done, um, that goes right up, you know, right up to the wire and then even carries on while you're filming to a degree, um, much to everybody's um, you know, dismay, but... Uh, I guess no, proof, was, proof positive the screenplay's never finished, isn't it, really, I suppose? <laughs> no, absolutely, and you, and, you know, and, and as I say, you know, things develop while you're doing them, like, like the example I gave of, you know, of Ivan actually kind of, you know, expressing his emotions at the end as to, mm. you know, that he's the poor victim and he's not the bad guy, you know, it's everybody else's fault, he's justified. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, and, and, and I think that, in a way, that's the exciting thing about about film you know you, you do all this planning you you, you know you, you take all this time to figure out everything else out but actually in the end you know if a film's 90 minutes long there's only 90 minutes of actual live moment that people watch do you know of what course. i mean yeah yeah so, you know of course um so it's interesting to 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 sort of have a plan um which i mean the way i work i i really do plan meticulously and storyboard everything and you know, I, I turn up with a definite plan in mind, but it, but sometimes it's interesting to turn up that way to to know that you've also got to keep your eyes and ears open, and someone or some for some reason, you know, a, a better way of doing it might might develop, and and then having kind of you know the nerve or the madness to go with it and change it, you know. So that that's kind of the the, the way that process worked. We did it was back and forth with the script right right up to the end. Um, but never, never no, to be honest, never, um, no, no conflict, no, there was no trouble. I think uh, the other thing I find is that generally speaking, when someone has a criticism, if it's right, everybody knows it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe you don't want to admit it at first, but, you know, I mean, you get this a lot between the director and the edit and the editor, you know, at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously you've done this great shot that you're really proud of where, you know, the camera does a 360 turn and all this amazing stuff happens and the editor's sort of saying they haven't even looked at it. They've cut, you know, they've cut to the next scene before you've even got to your great moment. It's like, hang on a minute, you know. But but inevitably they're they're probably right. You know <laughs> you you're you're thinking, that's the day I nearly let a nervous breakdown achieving that. And yeah, we're not and we're not I mean, using it. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> that's you know, that's why I think um, you know, I mean, some people, you know, write and direct and edit and they do everything themselves. I mean, that's, I find that incredible. I think you do need that kind of cold, um, detached person to be there to kind of say, you know, come on, what's the story? Move it forward, cut to the chase, get on. I mean, I've not yeah. made a feature film, so I can't speak from, from Barrett's experience, but from the people I've spoken to, it seems to me there's enough collaboration during the production that means when you write and direct there's still an element of collaboration with your other players to get the best out of the screenplay. But I think directing and editing is always loaded, I think. I think if you, if you separate editing from directing, you've got a chance to establish something 
that you've made as opposed to what you think you've made. Which is, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, it's the logical, it, it's the sort of logical route, I suppose, to directing. Um, mm. I mean, I, I, as I say, I storyboard everything. I, the, the first sort of professional job I had was on my dad's last film, and I was a trainee editor. So, you know, I spent the whole feature film kind of understanding how editing works and, mm. and kind of realizing that, you know, that is, that, that's the obvious route to becoming a director. Um, but, but then, you know, having said that, then obviously as a director, you need other skills. Um, you know, you, you need, you need skills of kind of getting your way as well as skills of, uh, diplomacy. Um, and you probably need an incredibly thick skin and you need to hustle, um, and deal with a lot of crap, you know, how many, how many, how many days shoot was, was, was the film? Um, I can't remember. I think it was six. I think it was six weeks. So, um, yeah, probably thirty, something like that. Yeah. So, how how t- talking of those? Uh, fine. So, the, the length of shoot was fine. That was fine. I, no, I think, no, I think I'm, not, it, I'm not sure whether it is or not fine. I was just wondering with that idea yeah. of what the director's role is. How do you balance the sort of schedule you're working to, with which is the bigger picture, making a movie with? The mo in the moment where you're like, this is a problem. We need more takes, and your, your first idea is going, no, come on, next one, whatever. How do you how do you find you balance the you know the need to get what you want in the moment, but also the need to make sure you accomplish the bigger picture, which is the film. Yeah. Well, I go I go back to it again. Obviously, to a degree, it's experience. Um, it's making the right decisions in pre-production. Yeah. Um, and there, funnily enough, I was talking with the. Craig Tui, who was the, the producer of this uh, a couple of days ago about this, there was a day from hell um, where we were like, how the hell did we think we were going to do that in a day? We went way over and it was a, you know, it was a bit of a bloody nightmare. Right. Um, but, you know, look, truthfully, that that kind of stuff always happens. But I, I go back to what I said before, which is the best way to be able to manage that stuff is through um, experienced people making the correct decisions about planning and scheduling, and then almost sometimes even knowing, okay, this is going to be a nightmare. We've got no choice. We've just got to go for it. What's our contingency? How have we planned this so we can? And then me as a director, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to get compromised because I don't have the time to do all these amazing things I want to do. But it's sort of reality time, you know, and you've just got to figure out a way. And, you know, to be honest, that that even happens on, you know, multi-million dollar big movies as well so that's that's the nature of the beast i think yeah and and, and we we uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, Stuart white was your was your cinematographer on it what was yeah. what's your conversations as a director and a cinematographer when you when you're you know at the at the start of the process where you're going into production when you're how do you explain or get Stuart, as it were to understand what you want to achieve visually speaking because obviously the, the script tells you the storyboard tell you, but but you know the look and feel of it. Is that is that is that a conversation you explicitly have, or is that you're saying I know what Stuart does, he'll do he'll achieve this. Again, I, yeah, I mean, for myself personally, no, it's definitely a com- a conversation. Okay. Uh, we looked we looked at, at at a lot of stuff beforehand. He showed me a film, and this is annoying because I can't remember the the name of it, but it was about the Runaways, the girl band. Okay. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Damn. Anyway, it, and it was a beautifully shot film, actually a really good film, film I hadn't heard of. Um, I wish I could remember the name. But um, 
So he showed me that because there, there was a lot of stuff in that he liked this kind of sort of lurid kind of rock and roll kind of feel. Is it the, uh, what, is it the film from 2010? Is it a recent film with Kristen Stewart? Yes. It's called The Runaways. The Runaways, <laughs> right. There you go. I so go on, sorry. Great movie. I no, it is, it is, it is. Uh, and I, Michael's... I'd, not, I'd not heard of it. It kind of fell through the net for me. And, and so, you know, that he kind of presented that to me as the kind of thing he was looking at and the kind uh, of thing okay. he was going for. And, and, I, and I was talking to him about, about kind of Brian De Palma, kind of 80s thrillers, you know, um, which in a way, if you think of those two things, probably if you look at them and look at our film, you're, you're probably sort of in the mix. Mm. So, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time talking like that and i mean it it's fantastic working with stuart um again never never really any any conflict at all um probably both had moments where we piss each other off but that's natural when you're working long hours but essentially you know i'll come up with something and he'll think it's cool he'll come up with something and i'll think it's cool um you know we're on the same page and and absolutely that's what you need you know there are stories where those kind of things don't work out and you know, you, you're in for, you know, you're in for a nightmare. I mean, I think there are some directors and some filmmakers who, who sort of thrive on conflict and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, my, my, the guy, the guy who taught me how to direct was my dad and uh, he's the only director I've really watched. So, um, I do like he did. And the, the lesson he taught me about when, when you're a director is you, you need a clear plan. Um, you need, you need to create a great atmosphere on set. You need to keep everybody positive, um, and you need to remember that all of those people um, have specific skills that they do better than you could do, so you need to respect them. And if anybody ever um, has a great idea, and you know it's a great idea, be there, the, you know, the person bringing you your cup of tea or, or the DOP or whoever, then go with it. You know, because because it's all you know. If it's better than what you're planning, then then go with it. You know, it is what I'm saying is it's a collective, collaborative process. And if and if you can't see that's what filmmaking is, then you should probably do something else. I, well, I, th- I think it's true of a lot of uh, creative endeavors. If if the muse is speaking to somebody and it sounds like it's making sense, and that's what's happening in that moment, then you should always take you should always try to take advantage of it if it if it seems to be the right thing, as opposed to no dogma is what we already started with and we never deviate which you know you can understand in some in certain senses you know we're going to shoot this on a ship and somebody say no we need to go to the moon but but there is there is things that i think happen and 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 that's the whole challenge i think creatively speaking yeah absolutely and look i mean there's a million ways you can do things there are there are directors who you know by all accounts are complete nightmares and i think um kurosawa who's one of my favorite directors was uh, you know, the, from what I've, I've read about him was, was a bit of a nightmare, you know, and he really kind of tortured people and gave him a really hard time. And, and I guess um, Kubrick is, is kind of known for that, you know, huge numbers of takes, like almost breaking the actors down, you know. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, had, I had the pleasure of having Larry Smith on the podcast talking about shooting Eyes Wide Shut right. um, with Kubrick. And he just, he said no at first when he was asked because he, he knew by saying yes to Kubrick, what he was taking on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's stories, isn't there, about The Shining, um, you know, doing endless takes again and again of kind of the same thing. But um, but look, I mean, it, yeah, 
you know, there isn't a way, is there? All different ways can work. I think, you know, as the director, you have to sort of be quite clear about what you are and what works for you. You can't, you know, over the course of a film, you can't pretend to be something other than what you are. So you have to find a way, you know? No, and totally, I, yeah. I think that's a I good choice. Be, I, I, I like, you know, I don't, I don't like conflict. Um, I, um, I, it makes me angry. Which is yeah. which is ironic, given given the the whole notion of this film, because the whole point, the whole film, like like concentric circles go from the tiniest bit of conflict to the ultimate betrayal, um, yeah. and 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 in a way, and what 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 was what's particularly gratifying watching the movie is 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 um is is the characters of Ivan and the way Elliot uh, James is it language. I yeah, the way he plays him is obviously, and, and and I'm guessing this was on the page, and what you were trying to get from from directing him is that he's not like, ha 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 ha, I'm evil, I will do evil things. He's far from that. But he's, yeah, he's quite funny, isn't he? I yeah, mean, he, he's kind of, he's almost. Uh, there is this side, I think, to when people watch the film, where where you you kind of have a wry smile about these kind of desperately ambitious, you know, kind of slightly pretentious young people wanting to be pop stars. And, and so there is that funny little element with him where, where as, as well as being the evil villain, he is sort of also the, the, the kind of the comic foil in a funny kind of way. Um, but, but that, I mean, in a way, I think that's also about the, what, what the actor brings, you know? So, I mean, we, we did auditions for both those parts and then, and, and part of that audition process down the line was was getting them to to do some scenes together. And I don't know, just between those two guys, there, there's just something really natural, and you really felt like they had history, and they went back, and you know, it was it was a it was very sort of, I don't know, believable. You know, there was sort no, of no, I, I thought it was magic when when Oz when Oz doesn't obviously the whole trigger of the movie when Oz doesn't acknowledge one way or the other. That he stood up for him, or will stand up for him, yeah. and for for a and, and 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 as an audience, we get that emotion. We get a why you wouldn't want to tell, why you wouldn't admit to your best friend, yeah, that your 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 selfish ambition has now took over, and yeah. equally why your lifetime friend would feel betrayed to the point that they would want to get. I'm not saying the ultimate revenge, as as we see pan out in the film, but you would want to, you would want to piss them off somehow. For, for, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd be able yeah. to get back on the friendship bus. Yeah, definitely. In, in, most, and, and, in most situations. The thing, that, the thing that we love with that, with that sort of scene, that sequence, and what we were speaking about was that if... So the whole carnage that happens through the film, the whole mm. destruction of all of these people, happens because Oz looks away, you know? So yeah. he knows he's lying. He can't keep his... He can't keep his stare. And and all if, if Oz had actually said... I'm sorry, I, I didn't fight for you. I feel terrible. I'm going to go back now and tell them that I'm not doing it. I quit. Ivan would have said, forget it, it's okay. I'll stick with you and, and you get me in down the line and it'll all be, you know. Exactly, it's just, yeah. It's just that tiny little thing that he did that, that creates the carnage, which is nice, as you say. it. So it's from this tiny, tiny seed of betrayal comes this mayhem and also it's 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 a good reflection in in in, in, in if naivety is good in in how young people see the world because you know you can intellectually understand what's going on but obviously being young emotionally you've got no idea what's going on so therefore 
you make the logical decision, which is I'm pursuing a music career, as yeah. opposed to we've been friends for 10 plus years and we've grown up yeah. together, you know, yeah. and this yeah. and like you, your idea that your life will end if you don't decide now is a very young person decision, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think also just um, the, the other thing that's nice about that story is is it's full of those little ironic little twists. Um, mm. The other one is 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 the Ian Glenn character um, who, you know, is, is desperately worried about his daughter and, you know, and, and the, this kind of bohemian path she's choosing. Um, and, and, and at the end, when he, you know, he has this chance to, to stop it and, and have Oz arrested, which would have saved his daughter's life. He is faced with this dilemma where he does he doesn't want to do it because then if he did that he knows that his daughter would never speak to him again. Mm. So he he you know through trying to do the right thing he totally does the wrong thing you know and it, and, it, and in that sense he plays a part in being responsible for her death. Yeah, I mean parent, parents are damned by this forever. It's just it's a subject that I, I'm, I've been researching myself, talking to people who were who've got kids and stuff. They. They, what a friend of mine said to me, he said, I, I have to make every decision for my kids, but I can't guarantee any of them are the right. But I always try and make it from the point of view what I think is best. Yeah. And he said, yeah. equally, I could send them to the best school, like, like, your, like Darcy is, you know, it's like best school, best opportunities. And yet she still doesn't want to take advantage of, of where she wants to go. She wants to do her own thing, which is a very human thing, isn't it? I want to I make my own success, you know. It's... Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and you know, you, you, yeah, as a parent myself, you sort of realise that wh whatever you want, whatever you push, they're, they're likely to push the other way. So yeah. if you start, you almost, you almost suggest the thing you don't want. And then hopefully... <laughs> so look, well, so how, can, how can people see Beautiful Devils? Well, it's, um, it's coming out on, um, on our screen on the 22nd. Uh, of, of March. Of March, yeah, which is in two days. Yep, uh, uh, and hopefully we'll get a few more screenings after that. Um, okay, well I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes to your your hour screen yeah. schedule as it were. Yeah, um, I know we're we're trying to get a few more going. There's 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 a there's a couple more already. I'm I'm doing a Q and A if anybody's in um, at the at the the View uh, Cheshire Oaks on the Friday the twenty fourth, and I know the actors have got another one coming on. So if if you look on that link, there's a few more, and we'll we'll keep trying to get more on, and then. And then it's going to be on Sky, uh, and, uh, and uh, I'm hearing that there may be some some deals coming up with Netflix and um, Amazon Prime as well. Okay, cool. So, be, what is that for? How late? How how far down the? What later this year or? Yeah, that I don't know. That I don't know. Okay. Well, look, that's, that's as much as they tell the director. Um, you know, I've, my job my job's done. You just turn up for the Q and A's and do more of this. What we've just been doing, and you'll be you'll be doing your job then. Exactly. <laughs> well, look, congratulations on the movie. Thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Good luck for the good luck with the release. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we get you back on another time when your next film's in the camp. Love to do it. Yeah. Cheers, Stuart. Thanks a lot. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.